welcome to Caribbean Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss everything real estate with experts from all across the Caribbean. If you are looking to learn how to buy, sell, renovate, and invest in real estate in the Caribbean, this podcast is for you. Here is your host, Dan Miriam, real estate investor, developer, and citizen of Antigua and Barbuda. I'm here with Selwyn Cambridge at uh, 10 Habitat, um, just outside of Bridgetown in Barbados. And um, he just gave me a tour of the facility. Um, it's opening in about a month, and uh, I wanted to bring him on to um, learn a little more about him, um, have him share his story, and, uh, and yeah, just um, share a little bit more about what he's doing here. It's very, uh, very interesting, very unique. So, um, yeah, so sell him. Yeah, welcome to Ten Habitat, and thank, thank you, you for, for the opportunity to talk to you about what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, tell us more about yourself. How did you, uh, how did you get into business? What have you, what have you done over the years that kind of led you to this? Well, I guess the way to start that is to say there was never going to be a scenario where I never got into business. Uh, I've always been into entrepreneurship. I'm originally from Guyana in South America. Okay. Um, and uh, I grew up around family members that were always into entrepreneurship. My eldest brother uh, was into chicken farming at a very, very young age, and I watched him build that into something that he was proud of, and that was part of my inspiration. When I left Guyana to come to Barbados to go to school, I remember writing uh, my business plan on, on a sheet of paper and putting it in my bag and saying, by the time I left college, I was going to start my own business. And uh, I left and, and went into my training is in, in marketing and brand development design. Mm-hmm. And I left and I worked in the industry for I think about seven years. And then I, I decided, you know, I can do this on my own and started my own business. And I think when I did that, that's what led to everything else because starting my own business was probably the most horrific experience ever because one, I do not think that the systems that were set up to support entrepreneurs were purpose-built, right? They they did not um, support entrepreneurs in a way I thought that I as an entrepreneur needed to be supported. Um, And so after the tons of mistakes I made, the amazing um, uh, um, amount of errors that I that I had, but the learning by fire that I had to go through, I vowed to myself that if I can help anyone else that's going through this to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I went through and I and mistakes I made, I was going to do it, and I think that's where it started for me to really look at entrepreneurship in a far more critical way and a lot more developmental approach. So while I was doing my my business, I was helping other entrepreneurs. Hmm. I was helping them to navigate the issues of starting their business, navigating the issues of how to effectively register the business, what type of business they should be registering, how they should get into market, how they should market themselves and position themselves in the market. 
And all of that led to me accumulating a wealth of information and knowledge through teaching others from my own experience that uh, created this. And then, you know, I went on to working with uh, international agencies to help them with my own learning on entrepreneurship and build systems to support entrepreneurs regionally and globally. Nice. So tell me more about that. Like, um, was this still in Guyana or, or was this? So this was in Barbados. I was, this in, was Barbados in Barbados by that time. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I was working, um, I started my business in Barbados. And all of what I just said uh, originated in Barbados. Hmm. And so what were some of the major challenges that you faced? Um, either either challenges in Barbados or just generally as you were starting your business as you were trying to grow and, and build out uh, build it out uh, one of the very first things is that um, I think entrepreneurs are uh, what I saw is entrepreneurs were steered in the direction of, of taking on early debt okay and that is always a big mistake. I think entrepreneurship as it is, is already a very, very onerous undertaking. And to take on debt too early, um, it's like a noose around your neck. And I experienced that, I got into early debt. Um, and the other thing is the, the desire to conform to specific regulations that were completely unnecessary at that early stage yep. cost the entrepreneur. I do not think it was and I did not think it was the best the best way to to, to go about it. So um, for example, uh, you go to an agency and they will tell you, well before you have a product, you don't have the you just have this idea, right? You are trying to figure it out and they would steer you in the direction of a lawyer to get incorporated and yeah. spend thousands of dollars on, on that when you haven't even figured the product out yet. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. trying to protect something that doesn't exist, yes. that no one's interested in stealing, and even if they try to steal they still have to go through the whole customer discovery process. Exactly, that, yeah. exactly. The idea is not, not where the value is, it's the execution exactly. of the idea. Exactly. Um, yeah, and you're right that a lot of startup founders you know, the number one thing on their mind is, you know, funding or, yeah. or trying to find money, which is important. Right. But, uh, yeah, you have, to, you have to have a business first. Is, is what exactly. Yeah. And I, and I even today I say, I say to, to entrepreneurs, you know, um, money is not your issue. Strategy is. Yeah. You've got to have a better strategy first before you start to worry about the money. The money will come once the strategy is worked out and yep. you can execute on that strategy. And once you are able to do that and you figure the path to execution, then you can start to, to worry about the money. But um, I hear you. It's, it, it's, I think it's, uh, it's a paradigm shift that needs to occur in the way entrepreneurs think and what I experienced. I think that is starting to change now. But when I started, what I experienced is that the organizations that were around to support entrepreneurs were not thinking like that. Hmm. And and maybe it's also a you know culture of um, not being patient and wanting to grow quickly and wanting to you know I think a lot of especially millennials and I'm technically a millennial but right on the edge um, want to go quickly right and and it's not that they don't want to put the work in but they 
they, they don't want to do some of the more difficult things like customer discovery, like business development. They, they just want a big, you know, $100,000, million dollar check, and then boom, you know, unicorn company to the moon. But it, it just, it doesn't work like that. No, not right? at all. 99% of the time, right? So That's absolutely true. Yeah. But, but, you know, part of that is, I think, a cultivation of, of the beast by the entrepreneurial ecosystem in itself, because we see these unicorns in magazines and we read these stories and how they shot from zero to a hundred thousand and a million dollars in, in, in years and, and other entrepreneurs aspiring to do that figure that they can do the same thing but do it in a month and do it in yeah. a couple of years but there's a process behind that it involves a lot of initial work that I think uh, we need to start to show under the hood yep. of you're referring what to the grind to yeah yes. yeah it takes yeah. time and, and a lot of a lot of yeah. hard work a lot of you're right that people look at entrepreneurs that are successful and they say oh wow that's incredible how do you do it well you work weekends <laughs> you work late nights right he yeah. worked he, he worked two three jobs at a time to make it yeah happen, so. yeah so you've already touched on this but, but tell us all about 10 habitat why did you start it um yeah. you know how did you start it uh, and what would that process look like? So that's interesting, right? Because when we started 10 Habitat, we started 10 Habitat um, out of my own um, practice in 2009. Yeah. And the idea was first, to, it was designed as a network to support net, um, entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, and it was a sales and marketing network is how it started. A sales and marketing network by entrepreneurs to support other entrepreneurs. Because one of the things that we saw was that um, most entrepreneurs are really good at what they're good at. Which is whether it's making the products or um, delivering the service. But they're oftentimes not as good at marketing the product or selling the product. Yes. Right? Okay. And so we figured, well, let's develop our own, uh, I guess, type of, of, um, of support to help these entrepreneurs take what they're really good at and turn it into something that is marketable, that's it. Yeah. And so that's how Ten uh, started. And you were helping them with the marketing piece. Correct. So it was almost like a plug-in. Along plug with some of your colleagues. Yeah. 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 Right. So it was almost like a plug-and-play, right? So, okay, I'm really good at making, I don't know, widgets. But I do not have the time or the understanding of how do I turn what I make into something that is appealing, that's attractive, and that's saleable. Yeah. Okay. And so you come to us and you simply just plug into this system and we take charge of how we convert that product into something that's attractive, that's appealing, that's valuable, and that's saleable. But what we recognized was when we did that, we ran the risk of tanking the business a lot faster than they would through natural attrition. Yes. And that was because if we marketed a did a really, really good job at marketing a product that was not quite ready. Okay. The more people see the flaws of the product and the more people go away uh, from it. Yes. So 
we figured this was actually doing more harm to the business than good. So yeah. we recognized that there was a lot more that needed to be done for the business. And, and that's where we started to make the transition into a holistic approach yeah. to support you. Started to refine your process yes. to help entrepreneurs. Correct. And nice. that's, that's how the whole evolution of 10 and the Habitat involved because first it was just 10 which okay. was an acronym for the Entrepreneurial Network. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then we changed it to 10 Habitat because we figured if we wanted to nurture the growth of entrepreneurs, we needed to nurture them in a habitat the same way nature nurtures its young yeah. in a habitat. And we created an environment that surrounded them with all of the requirements and the elements that they needed to thrive. Nice. Well, thanks for sharing that. How did you grow from that office space to this? Were there a few steps in between? Because I, I, I know you had another office before this. Mm -hmm. Was that mm -hmm. your your marketing company or was that another office? That so, so no, we, we first started out of my marketing office, yep. which was out of a, um, a room at my, in my home. That I, that, that I converted into my office and that's yeah. where we were running our practice. We were just bringing also, people in yes. and doing events and, you know. Correct, yeah. yeah. And, and then um, when we made the transition, I, I wrote a project proposal and I remember uh, approaching the IDB, Inter-American Development Bank, and we said, look, we've been doing this for a long time and I think we understand how to support entrepreneurs in a way that they're not currently being supported. Uh, we were not initially taken seriously. So mm -hmm. we decided, well, we'll just go either way. And we started and, and um, after getting out there, they recognized what we were doing and then approached us. And oh, wow. They approached how long did it take said, for them to come back? A couple of years or? Within six months. Oh wow! Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Within six months. Were you doing months. something right then? Obviously. So, so yeah. we were happy with that, and that that literally is what led to us really transitioning into what Ten Habitat has become. Because with that funding support, we were able to get a much larger facility. Yeah. Be able to do a lot more because they were interested in us taking the system we created and piloting it in Barbados to then scale it across the region. Hmm. And so out of that, we were able to create an environment and a process that now we support entrepreneurs across the region. But being an entrepreneur that I am and always looking for opportunities and always looking for ways to solve systemic problems, I recognize that the funding that, that uh, the IDB provided could also be used as a, a launch pad for something bigger. And so we leveraged that and was able to acquire the additional funding support to purchase this building. Yes. And so that's how we purchased this, this building, which was a printery, and uh, we completely renovated it into a 16,000 square foot facility that now uh, houses 23 offices, four meeting rooms, a cafe, and a large co-working space, as well as a large meeting and an event space. Yeah. 
Well, we'll do a tour later today, and I'll do a little recording of that, and we'll, we'll share that, because I think a lot of people would be interested in actually seeing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, so when are you, like, you're operational right now, mm -hmm. but you, you said in about a month you'll be fully operational with mm -hmm. all the spaces that you have finished. Yeah. Um, the old facility, the reason you, you grew was because of your capacity. Mm -hmm. How quickly do you think it will take this, this space to go to capacity? Because you said the demand is pretty high, right? There aren't, there aren't really any spaces truly like this in Barbados. Yeah, yeah. So um, to answer that, let me put it this. When we were starting 10 Habitat, well, when we were transitioning to the more 360 degree approach of support for entrepreneurs at 10 Habitat, I remember uh, always saying to my colleagues, look, if we're going to do this, we need to connect the region to the rest of the world. And so we need to reach out to players in all of the mature ecosystems mm -hmm. and make them part of the 10 Habitat experience and support. And so we did that and we, we one of the, the um, persons we approached, I remember distinctly, is Ian Klugman from uh, Communitech okay. in Waterloo yeah. in Canada. Yeah. And um, Communitech is one of the world-renowned innovation ecosystems in, in, in all of Canada that drives a lot of the tech innovation in that region. And one of the things he said to me that always stuck, and to this day I, I follow it to a team, he says, Salwin, the secret to this is community. Always remember community. And that just completely stuck. And so we have always placed emphasis on building community around mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Yeah. So over and above anything else, we always see how can we foster community, whether it's a local, a regional, or a global community around entrepreneurs. And so why 10 Habitat is much different from any other um, support system or any other structure that might provide co-working spaces that you walk into a community and everyone, even in our smallest space that was 6,000 square feet, now we're 16,000 square feet, they will always tell you that the vibe in the place when you get in, it's just different. You feel something, the energy when there the people in the space. And that didn't happen by accident. Yep. That was done deliberately and through um, deliberate steps that were taken in how we designed the space. It's also one of the reasons why we were adamant about incorporating a cafe into the space. Yeah. Right. So and really creating an environment, a gathering place. Well, you can't create a community like this without a lot of thought. Right. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people around a table thinking about how can we make this better for entrepreneurs. How can we provide them a really really nice experience exactly. and, and actually help them. So um, it sounds like you've been thinking about that since 2009 or, or, or even yeah. before that. Yeah. And yeah. You've, you've you know gone through trials and errors and Lots. you've ended up with this, which yeah. is really fantastic. It's, it's really cool what you built. Thank you. Um, you were telling me earlier about some of the new initiatives that you wanted to do. So mm -hmm. um, you wanted to incorporate co-living, which I think is amazing. I've, I've been to... Uh, uh, 30, 35 different co-working and co-living spaces mm -hmm. all around the world, especially in Asia. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a lot of this happening. Mm -hmm. and I haven't been to any in the Caribbean, 
And so, yeah, I'd love to hear hear your vision and, yeah. and what you have planned. And I, I know you have a few other things. So, yeah, please share. Yeah, uh, and and it again goes to so when we think about uh, ten habitat, we think about ten habitat not simply as an entrepreneurial space, but it's a community dedicated to driving innovation across the board, using entrepreneurship as a linchpin, right? And uh, in order for us to do that is, how can we deliberately bring people, ideas, and opportunities together? Yeah. And how can we have that congregate in a space that makes it easy for what I, what I call osmosis to, to, to occur. So it's learning by osmosis. You put a lot of different people together with different experiences yep. and chances are things will get transferred, mm -hmm. right? And so the, the natural extension of that was co-living. So the idea here is um, we have a lot of additional space. We're only using about, I would say, 60% of the capacity of the building right now for co-work. So we want to convert an, the, uh, an additional, you know, um, I would say 20% of the building into co-living and that's going to, we're going to go up one level and we're going to have an opportunity for persons, whether they're looking to come to Barbados or they're looking for an immersive experience to be able to be in a facility where they share living other persons so they're private rooms with communal spaces communal kitchen communal dining areas uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, that's very cool I've uh, I've looked just as I was doing my research on like places like Hostel World which is a mm -hmm. very popular mm -hmm. site for digital nomads and travelers mm -hmm. and um, I'm a member of a, of a community called uh, Nomad List mm -hmm. um, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool but um, I haven't seen any hostels really in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And I know it's it's more co-living and it's more focused on entrepreneurship, but I bet you'll be able to attract a lot of people through sites like that. Um, and yeah, there, there's just not a lot of options. I, I And it wouldn't, I don't think it would be that hard to market that kind of a space because there's so many people looking for affordable living options in Barbados, in the mm -hmm. Caribbean, especially that's you know connected to what what you built here. So yeah, yeah, we're 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 excited by that, and I think all the all of the stars are aligning. Yeah, because you know during the COVID era, era um, or pandemic, the uh, Barbados government introduced the Barbados Welcome Stamp. Yes. Right. Digital nomad visa. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and that has received a lot of global attention, and we've started to attract a new type of visitor, in the form of uh, the digital nomads that are looking for an experience. And uh, I believe that offering that would be an attractive and unique experience for them. Being and able and to you be could even help people through that process that are wanting to come here. Um, there's obviously a need here in Barbados for what you're doing. Why would someone leave their home country and set up shop here in Barbados? Mm -hmm. Why? What would attract them, or, or why? Why would they do that? What are, What are the? What, what's attractive about doing business in Barbados? So, so one of the things, one of the things about Barbados is that Barbados, uh, and I, 
tell people this all the time. Look at Barbados and you will immediately recognize once you've been here and experienced the island that it's the perfect location for a hub for the rest of the region. Yeah. Because the infrastructure is really strong, the technology infrastructure is really strong. There, there's fiber to home, there, the um, level of um, education, we have one of the highest literacy rates in the world. Yeah. Uh, the, the level of crime is really low, there's a stable government, there's reliable um, law enforcement and the legal structure is pretty solid. And uh, what you see is uh, what Barbados has been able to do really well is that visitors who visit the island end up staying or becoming investors in the island. Mm. And that's because there is this melting pot of um, opportunities and individuals that make being in Barbados a very diverse and always interesting experience. And it, what we've seen is you can go to work in the morning and go to the beach in the afternoon. Yep. Right. Um, you can leave your, your hotel or your apartment and possibly walk across the road or take a 10 minute drive to a slew of different culinary experiences, yeah. right? Or you can go to um, an amazing cultural or musical display. Uh, always there's something to do, something that is in very different from what you traditionally would experience. And what I love about that in Barbados is that you always meet someone new and someone from somewhere else, some other part of the world that will make you know your stay an interesting one. And what we've seen is that a lot of the digital nomads that, that have been coming on the welcome stamp are actually now starting to explore purchasing property. Yes, I've actually heard that from a few different real estate agents that I've been talking to, that they'll come here you know, thinking of staying for a year and then just fall in love with the place, realize it's a great place to have as a hub. Yeah. Right? And a lot of these people travel three, four, six months out of the year, yeah. but they still need that you know, hub for banking to set up their corporate structures to actually have their business, yeah. whether it's online or, or, or you know, physical products. But uh, Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's one of the things that we see across the board. So recently Barbados held its, um, its rally and these are, are um, races from all around the world that come to, part, to participate in the Barbados Rally, but it, Barbados has become over the years like a second home for them because some of them have purchased property, some of them come and stay six months out of the year, three months out of the year, some of them escape, you know, uh, the harsh winters where they are and they come stay. I know a little bit about that, <laughs> yeah, being stay. Canadian, so. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and so they, they, they stay in the tropics where it's always summer. Yeah, so. yeah cool. Well, I, I, I got off the plane a couple of days ago. I, I'm based in Antigua, as, as you know. Right. And, um, and I forgot how much more, as much as I love Antigua and as, as beautiful as it is, I forgot how much more developed Barbados is. Right. The hot, like, sorry, 
they have highways, right, with sure. four lanes. They have sure. uh, um, the roads are great. There's uh, there's there's so so much more to do here. There's a lot of restaurants. Like it's 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 in it's it's one of the most livable places that I've been in the Caribbean, if not mm. the most. Mm. And I also know they're one of the few places in the Caribbean um, that have tax treaties with countries like Canada, mm -hmm. United States, Europe, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and. Uh, and it's come up a few times as I've t a few times as I've talked to tax advisors that Barbados is very unique in the Caribbean in that sense, and therefore a great place to have a business and a great place, you know, for what you're doing here to help entrepreneurs. Um, have you, um, you know, have you talked to uh, different entrepreneurs about that? And, and is there, um, is that one of the reasons people are coming here? You find or so it, that that's an interesting question. So. Yeah. Um, the thing is that uh, Barbados has a growing uh, international business sector. Yep. Right? And uh, it's been growing for a number of years because of the treaties that Barbados has signed with other with other jurisdictions. Yeah. Starting and, I think the nineteen eighties. I think Canada was one of the first. Canada was one of the first. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and what what Barbados has done is to create. Um, very attractive options for uh, companies to domicile in Barbados. Yeah. And what the pandemic has done is through the welcome stamp introduce a lot more players to the opportunities of one using Barbados as a domicile, setting up business and working out of Barbados because one, Barbados is a fantastic place to live. Yeah. Um, it's very stable. It, you're, there's a lot of connectivity to Barbados in terms of airlift. So it's easy to get to from just about anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, and what we have what we have realized is that there is this growing interest in the island. And because of what we're doing, because we see, we actually see um, instruments like the Barbados Welcome Stamp or the Digital Nomad Visa as a tool for catalyzing uh, innovation and investment in the island and in the region. So we're, we are launching what we call the Welcome Habitat. And the Welcome Habitat is, is essentially a service-based offering that allows persons that are interested in Barbados or considering Barbados yep. to sign up and be able to have all of this support to say, okay, nice. here are the opportunities. Um, if you're looking for housing, and you're looking for schooling, you're looking for banking, you're looking for co-working, you're looking for, for accommodation, and sort of make it almost a, a full service concierge nice for for, for anyone for families yes. that want to set this up as their hub for you know digital nomads that want to come here you can exactly. basically show them how to do it provide them all the options help them you know pick a neighborhood they want to be in exactly. find an office space or you know set up shop here and yeah. and more importantly also become part of the community right yeah. so because of what we've heard a lot of is that these visitors, these uh, digital nomads are looking for ways to either give back or be part of or volunteer in, 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 uh, in communities. And we're sort of building up that platform to make it possible for them to do that.
Nice. Again, going right back to this whole notion of always facilitating the growth of community. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. I really believe, and from the research that I've done, that the Caribbean is just perfectly positioned. I think the time is now. I think it's going to grow. I think it's a great place to invest. Mm -hmm. um, Barbados is either the top or you know mm -hmm. high on the top of my list. Mm -hmm. And what opportunities do you think there are for investors? You know, I, I'm a real estate investor. I've been doing it for ten years, mm -hmm. and it's something that that I know I've identified. Barbados is a great place to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Tell me a little bit more about you know where you think the market for either real estate or or even business is going in Barbados and, and some of the different opportunities that you that you see here. So Barbados is an interesting location when it comes to investing. So traditionally, the key areas for investing has always been uh, tourism, yeah, uh, real estate, uh, construction, and uh, to some to some extent retail. Um, what we're seeing is that the environment is starting to change because the new graduates coming out of university are pushing the envelope around entrepreneurship and are going after um, sunrise industries, right? Uh, so they're looking to create solutions in in digital currency, they're looking to create uh, tech solutions in traditional sectors like agriculture and tourism. Um, for example, looking at virtual tourism. But one of the stables continues to be real estate. Yes. Right? Uh, real estate continues to be a solid investment in Barbados. Um, and a lot of investors who look at Barbados primarily consider uh, real estate first, real estate and construction, because, and they're, I guess, synonymous because um, there are a lot of new projects that are being done uh, in the real estate space. And, yeah, uh, so a lot of new development correct. happening here. Yeah, I've exactly, noticed that. quite a lot. And, and then a, a, a burgeoning uh, industry is renewable energy. Yeah. Right? New, renewable energy is a big thing because the Barbados has a, a concerted effort to become 100% um, renewable by 2030. Oh, wow. Um, I, I didn't and, realize that. That's exciting. So, yeah. hmm. so there, there's this... So that's a mandate from the push. government. Correct. Yeah, okay. Correct. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot that is being done in that space, and there's a lot of investment opportunities that are being explored as well. Okay. Talk a little bit about the domestic market and what you see happening with first-time home buyers. I, I know, I know, some banks are offering up to a hundred percent financing on homes and to, to drive that forward. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about what you know. So, so first, first off, let me let me let me um, make a disclaimer. I'm by no stretch of imagination an expert in real estate yep. and and the real estate market. Sure, but. Um, just from what we've observed and, and some projects that we're working on, there are almost like two, two sides of the market, right? Uh, there is the high-priced real estate that never really seems to have much of an issue. There's always opportunity there, there's always investment, there's always activity uh, in that direction. And then there is the moderately priced or middle class type real estate uh, in terms of accessibility. 
and and that has been primarily where a lot of the commercial lending, <clears throat> the retail banking has been going towards facilitating access to a lot of mortgage products to acquire um, moderately priced homes. Okay, but there, is this a recent development? Not really. Or been I mean, that there's for a always while, been pushing, but now they're pushing going. it even more. Okay. And the reason for that is because. Um, the government has also of late made a concerted effort to solve the housing crisis, which I call it a housing crisis for low-income earners. Yes. And so there's this huge issue, and it's not necessarily unique to Barbados. It's really a global issue, but very systemic in Barbados. And one of the reasons why is because of the... Um, exposure that uh, low-income individuals have to climate change and the changes in uh, the, the storms, the storm patterns, right? So now we, it's almost customary that you experience a category four or even uh, uh, or higher in some instances. In, in other parts of Bahamas is one example, um, experience uh, a storm that wiped out a large portion of their housing stock. Yeah. Right? Uh, and what what governments are trying to solve and what Barbados is trying to solve is providing housing that is climate resilient yep. uh, for low-income individuals. And so there's a huge market right now in that in that space providing that because in the past though there have been efforts what ends up happening is that the, the, how the solutions that are provided for low-income individuals are not really accessible yeah. and it becomes more so housing for middle class. Well I, I know a development um, Coverly yes. I think it originally started as something that was supposed to be affordable yeah. and then there was a um, a natural disaster, a hurricane, and I think St. Vincent, where Ross was, they moved Ross here, and then all of a sudden that whole um, development became um, pretty expensive to live in because um, it basically just became, you know, expensive student housing. And so, um, so it looks like people have tried, and then you know the market just uh, just changes a bit, and boom, prices go up. So, um, what do you think the government could do more of, or what, where where do you see? Um, an opportunity for to, to fix this affordability problem that exists here, and, um, and and I would even say in the Caribbean generally for first-time home buyers. Yeah, I think we need to get a lot more innovative in the approaches that we take to actually building homes that yeah. are low that are low income. Uh, so if you look at the traditional um, building methods that are being used to to develop low-income housing, the cost per square foot ends up making it prohibitive for low-income earners. Yeah. So we have to get a lot more creative with the methods and the methodologies that we're using, but also in terms of our financing instruments, right? What can we create that will make it accessible? And that is a space that we're very interested in because we see that as a ripe opportunity for disruption. Hmm. And um, that's one of the reasons we are actively working on a project right now that is targeting low-income housing, utilizing uh, as one method housing co-ops, 
right, uh, as a way of making um, the accessibility, accessibility to homes a lot more uh, easier and affordable for low-income earners. But Can also, you tell us a little more that. about that. Yeah. So um, one of the things that that we're we're doing is instead of investing in homes, we want persons to invest in communities, mm-hmm. right? And how do you invest in communities? One of the things that we're doing is building a financial, a financial instrument that makes it easy for large amounts of individuals to invest incrementally in developments that they experience fractional okay. ownership, Yes, and then are able to take that community and expose it to low income earners through housing co-ops. Interesting. Right? And, uh, and it's a model that we're currently piloting and we're building that out right now. But I think that it, it, it behooves us to solve that problem because in order for us to create an equitable society, we've got to be able to provide at least stable in, um, housing for everyone. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, is the mandate or mantra of this initiative that we're on taking is uh, making low-income housing affordable for all, but investable for everyone as well. And if we can, if we can prove this model out, I think it can be a major game changer for a lot of people. Nice. Is the government um, putting up programs to, to help with this? Because I, I know in Canada, there's a really big um, effort to, uh, to to provide more housing. There's a huge housing shortage. Uh, March 2022, um, the government, along with um, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, just released a whole new set of criteria um, and changes and incentives for developers to actually just build more housing. And, and I believe, and, and a lot of people I'm working with believe that it will work. What has Barbados done? And and do you see do you see an appetite from government to make to, to put out those kind of incentives for developers? Absolutely. Okay. So it's and, starting to and, happen here too. And it's it's definitely starting. There there is a, a concerted effort by this government to really push um, solutions addressing the low income housing crisis. And so, for example, they've they've um, recently launched a public private partnership. This all the, um, the Hope Project. Okay. And that is a a project that utilizes. Um, combination of um, PV panels on roofs to sell into the grid as a way of earning revenue, bringing down the cost of the housing to the to the homeowner and making it accessible for low-income earners. I, I know the government has recently partnered with um, companies out of China to make available um, prefabricated steel homes. Uh, they've entered in to a public-private partnership with um, companies out of Guyana that are, are doing prefab houses uh, out of, of um, timber uh, here. So there, there are a lot of initiatives and the government is constantly looking for, for, for new ways to solve the crisis because in the recent um, re-election, they made a promise to the nation to build uh, 10,000 homes in two years. A big promise, and uh, and I've noticed in the Caribbean that construction takes longer. It's a mm-hmm. lot more expensive, especially when you're starting to import and ship mm-hmm. building materials from outside Caricom. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested to hear 
more about prefabricated and modular structures mm -hmm. and what countries you think we're going to start seeing product, you know, uh, homes in a container basically that, uh, that can mm -hmm. be shipped here mm -hmm. and assembled quickly because there's, there's a market for that. You're saying that's already starting to happen and that there's mm -hmm. some interest in that mm -hmm. space. There, there's, it's already started to happen. I think the government has clearly expressed an interest in it. They've, they've entered into a partnership and running a test pilot, I think it's for 100 homes, yep. utilizing prefabricated steel, um, almost a, 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 a home shipped in containers. Uh, and the, the project with, with the Guyanese are, are, is also uh, prefabricated um, timber homes where the parts are just shipped and, and assembled. I think they recently assembled a model home um, in Queen's Park that took seven days to, to put together. So wow. there, 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 there is a growing interest in prefabricated homes and prefabricated steel. The project that we're working on is utilizing a modular structure as well, the combination of carbon texture and prefabricated steel to be able to build modular homes in a way that grows according to the stage at which a family is. So. Mm. so so you may be able to buy a home um, if you're a, a single individual and as your family grows, you can you can modulate the home to to adjust to the growth the growth of your family. There are just a lot of interesting things that can happen now because the environment is right yep. for it to Have you looked at modular homes to uh, add on top of this existing building or or? For the uh, for the co-living space that you're planning, Is so that that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Ah, so okay. so we're utilizing um, modular uh, construction to build the co build out the co-living nice. uh, and it's one way of being able to demonstrate the versatility of it and um, the the methodology that we're we're using for our own um, low-income housing project that we're working with. Uh, with an entrepreneur that actually came to Ten Habitat as well with this idea and says, you know, I've been working on this idea for some time. Um, this is what we're trying to solve. And the moment we saw it, you know, we recognized there's an opportunity here. We can help um, them build this out. And that's what we ended up doing. So I'm, I'm smiling because you have, you have your fingers in a lot of pies. You're, you're doing a lot of things here, which is, yeah. which is really cool. Um, I think this is a nice segue into talking about the manufacturing facility that mm -hmm. we wanted to build in mm -hmm. the old print shop here, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a set up like a warehouse right now, but, yeah. but you, you have a vision to build that yeah. out. Tell so, us more so about that. So again, utilizing 10 Habitat as a catalyst for driving innovation. And uh, the we have a very large uh, warehouse facility that um, we're looking to very interested in revitalizing the manufacturing sector. Um, in the in the seventies and, and early eighties, Barbados had a, a very active uh, manufacturing sector that died a slow death, and okay. right now it's simply on life support. Hmm. And what we want to be able to do is to contribute to the revitalization of it by adding um, technology, innovation, and 
um, mass manufacturing to be able to do so. So what we're looking to do is to work with talented artisans, partnering with large um, factories outside of Barbados to prototype um, furniture that then gets manufactured all season, then pre-assembled here and, and, um, and shipped to the region and the rest of the world. Wow. So it's really a play towards revitalizing manufacturing, leveraging IP and technology, as opposed to the hard um, construction skills of, of these artisans, because there is a treasure trove of highly skilled artisans that are not being, at least in my opinion, are not being utilized and optimized in the way that I think they could. And um, because of technology, we need to start to venture more into ownership of IP, yep. right? As opposed to saying, well, let's control the full um, value chain. Let's look at where the real value is and let's see how we can optimize what we've got. We've got the skills, we've got the ideas. Let's now couple that with technology and let's develop some amazing um, products that then can be manufactured at scale. Yeah, well, in Barbados is a perfect place to do that. It's, it's just a great place to do business. I um, believe so. Yeah, so you're saying that um, a lot of the design a lot of the research and development can be done here. Maybe even some of the assembly and some of the quality control, but a lot of the you know heavier manufacturing can be done overseas or even in a place like Guyana or Jamaica. Correct. Or where Trinidad. where the where the where the, the the cost of labor is relatively lower. Yeah. Right. And um, then that is assembled here. So the when what we want to be able to do is to look at how do we do that by reducing the capital cost of infrastructure, yes. right? Um, and we don't need to go and try to invest in a whole lot of heavy equipment and planting equipment and all of that. Let's just simply invest in great ideas and systems. Which is where you can be right? competitive. Exactly. It's, hard, it's hard to be competitive manufacturing products fully, you know, A to right. Z um, right. in, in a small country like Barbados. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I think with, with the knowledge that these artisans have, the skill that they have, and the ability for us to now marry that with new technologies, to marry that um, with new systems of innovation, we can really breathe new life into the manufacturing sector, I believe. Mm. And um, we can start to add um, a new dimension to the, the startup ecosystem where we are literally creating maker spaces that talented artisans can come and know that there's a complete structure in place for them to develop a really great idea, have it um, prototype manufacturing and the next thing you know, they're, they're able to have that product sold on an international market. Wow, yeah, that would be, I, I don't think there's too many people doing that here already. I don't think there's any. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either. Very, uh, very cool. Um, so what resources are there or, or that you can suggest for young entrepreneurs in the Caribbean that, that want to start a business, that want to learn about investing, that want to learn about, you know, even real estate or, or, or manufacturing um, that you could suggest? 
so there, there are a lot of there are a lot of um, agencies, both public and private. Um, some some are, are a combination of the two that are available. Uh, so, for example, you know, an entrepreneur that's looking to get their product into the export market, there's Export Barbados that's that's set up. You know, an entrepreneur that's looking to probably explore uh, investment uh, or prospective investors looking to um, collaborate with local entrepreneurs, there's always Invest Barbados as well. Uh, the, of course, um, with a self-confessed bias, there is ten habitat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you are you are one of one of the few great resources that exist. But yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but um, the part of the challenge that I think, um, and this is not necessarily unique to Barbados, but it, it's a, we're starting to see that change. We are starting to see that change. But part of the challenge in the region is that. Um, for a very long time, the region has built out a system of entrepreneurship that has been predicated primarily on um, lifestyle entrepreneurship. Yeah. So it's individuals trying to create a job for themselves and support their families. So it's not ne necessarily legacy-based or opportunity-based entrepreneurship, right? Um, where they're going after solving major problems and problems that are scalable and investable. So there aren't a lot of organizations or institutions that are specifically set up to facilitate that type of support. Yep. Um, and, and that's the space where we play. That's the space 10 Habitat tends to focus on most exclusively on, right? Yep. How do we take really great ideas, convert them into scalable ventures that become investable yep. and um, products that become exportable? Well, the Caribbean needs that. It, oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, absolutely. it's something that's lacking here um, from the uh, people that I've spoke with about you know, real estate investing and entrepreneurship. A lot will turn to resources in the United States, Canada, or, or abroad, which is useful, right? There's some yeah. great lessons and, and yeah. information there yeah. um, to be learned, but it's, it's not country and it's not region specific. So there needs to be a lot more of that. Um, one of the reasons I started this podcast is to create a platform for people like yourself to get on and, and share that region and country-specific information mm -hmm. the young entrepreneurs and investors are looking for. So, um, so yeah, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, you. One more question: mm -hmm. um, What motivates you? You know, what 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 really drives you? What what makes you uh, what makes you work so hard to create these kind of spaces for people? Uh, I would say it's very self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Let's hear more about self-serving. There is actually. It's, it's the gratification in seeing the success of someone else, right? It's, a, it's an amazing, and anyone who does this and does it for the right reasons, I believe can attest to this. It's an amazing experience to see the progress an, an individual is able to make after being part of something you've built. And then them being able to take that knowledge and experience and scale it and, and do some amazing things with it, right? I, I, I always say, you know, success is not measured by what you've achieved, but it's measured by what, how much you've helped others achieve 
you know and so that that's how we measure success how many entrepreneurs have we helped scale how many entrepreneurs have we helped develop great ideas yeah. and that's what keeps me moving that's what keeps me motivated and that's what also keeps me awake at night how much more can i do to be able to help someone else be successful and in the process we become successful yeah naturally that's fantastic great thanks for sharing and uh appreciate you taking the time today thanks for being here and i'm looking forward to all the amazing things that you will do in the region as well yeah thanks all right